My dad uh, was around. He coached teams. He came home for dinner. Uh, he, I never wondered if I was loved. Uh, my wife, Hillary, had a different experience. Her dad bailed when she was young, and she has had that question in those pivotal years about, does my dad care? He's not around. He's missing birthdays and all kinds of things like that. And I know that for some of you, there is real pain around this idea of fathers. And so that is just real. And we are going to talk about the reality that God, your heavenly father, has the capacity and loves and specializes in covering up and compensating for ways that our dads let us down. And for those of us who are not yet a dad or who are working on being a dad or who will eventually be a dad, who even who are dads right now, we will, we, you will, be able to change patterns, to shift things in your history, in, your, in this next generation that will have a profound impact on the people that you love because of what God is doing in your life and because you don't have to follow in the same footsteps as maybe a dad who lets you down in different ways. Uh, and, and as we get into this idea, I have a few myths regarding dads that I think are important to dispel and I think we have them on the screen. The first, or maybe we don't, but the first myth is that dads are optional. Dads are not optional. Now, I know that some of you are single moms. And like I said, God is so very capable of overwhelming your children with love. And, and make, taking care of their needs in that vacuum that a dad has left. But dads are not optional. I read something recently that a movie star, she was talking about how she was just going to get pregnant and, or she was pregnant and she was just going to have this kid and the dad didn't need to be in, her, in the kid's life because, in her words, dads are just pinch hitters. They can fill in in different spots. But moms do all the work. And that's just not the reality. God has wired us to need our dads. Dads give our kids a sense of their own sexual identity, boys and girls. That's where that comes from. Moms do the nurturing and do you know, so many incredible things and equally influential in kids' lives. But dad's role is critical. It's critical. The workplace, this is, here's another myth. The workplace is more important than the home. That's a myth. That's not true. So many of us, guys, I get it. We get a sense of our identity, our, our feeling of, uh, of, of masculinity and accomplishment from the workplace. And so it can be a confusing thing. And we think that there is, you know, we, what we do here matters so much and I'm providing for my kid. But the workplace is not more important than the home. And another myth is that being a provider and being a dad are the same thing. They are, they are not the same thing. You can be a provider and not a father at all. And then the last thing that becoming a dad is, becoming a good dad is easy and natural. And it's not. I'm learning that. I, I'm already wondering. I, I think, I look at Hillary and I'm like, she kind of, this is kind of natural for her. This seems to be, you know, she had the nine months of preparation. The, you know, the, the doctor just kind of put the baby on her chest. And it was like instantaneous mom. And I'm like, like, what do I, I'm not sure, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I, am I, am I good at this? And I know, you look at my parents today, and there's like three of us boys, and we all seem to be doing pretty well, and you would say, man, they must have been great parents. But there were times along the way when even my parents wondered, are we screwing up our kids? Are we damaging them severely? Will there be years of therapy as a result of our parenting? That answer is partially yes, uh, but they... <laughs> They, they were still great parents, but there are, you just need to know that there are no scorecards in this parenting thing. 
At work, you get, you, get a, you, you get a grade, or in school, you get a grade. In sports, you get a score. And at work, you get promotions, and you know where you stand. And being a parent, it is different. Being a father, being a mother, it is different. There is no clear scorecard. There is no obvious way of telling if you're doing a good job. And you might be in a season where it feels like you are not, but stay with it. Stay with it. We are in this series on the Bible, and we're talking today about Father Abraham, appropriately, right? For our Father's Day message, we're talking about Abraham. But in this series, we, we, we are going in all summer and looking at the, the Bible. And in some ways, it's because the Bible miniseries was so popular and over 100 million people watched it, right? It was kind of a big deal. But the other reality is that we as a culture, just we, we based so much storytelling and so much of our government and so much of our lives that we don't even realize on Scripture, on the Bible, and yet our, liter- our Bible literacy is deteriorating more and more. And yet all of you and all of your friends are, are really interested when it comes down to it about what the Bible says. I was reading something. There's this uh, quote from Dic- Dictionary of Cultural Literacy. Do we have that quote? It says, No one in the English-speaking world can be considered literate without a basic knowledge of the Bible. The Bible is also essential for understanding many of the moral and spiritual values of our culture, whatever our religious beliefs. The linguistic and cultural importance of the Bible is a fact no one denies. Nonetheless, elementary knowledge of the Bible has declined among young people in recent years. And these are not people of faith. This is just, this is just a cultural commentary on how critical Scripture is. And so that's why we're doing this series, because it matters. And because stories that you hear about, stories on, on the silver screen, they are built upon these stories from Scripture. And so today we look at the story of the famous Abraham. How many of you know Father Abraham had many sons? Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. You are too. And I think there's some twirling or something that happens as a result of that song. If you don't know that song, it's okay. You are not dumb. I'm probably dumb for knowing that song. It, it, I, it's just silly. But this is one of the most famous historical figures, literally in all of history. This guy has influence in in the Christian faith, in the Jewish faith, in the Islam faith, all of them go back to Father Abraham as the patriarch of their belief system, of their nations. And so this is a critical, this is a critical story to have some clarity on in your world. And even more so, I'm going to tell you why, especially for you gentlemen in the room today, why this is so important as we read this first passage of Scripture, okay? Let's start off in Genesis chapter 12. This is when Abraham kind of comes into the picture in the story of God. The Lord said to Abram, also known as Abraham, I'll tell you, his name changes. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And he said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Those who curse you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now, you can say that you have faith and still do nothing, right? 
but faith is proved by action. So notice that when God says this crazy thing, this crazy elaborate strategy that I'm going to bless all peoples of the earth through you, but first it requires that you go, that you move, that you take steps in this direction. And it says that Abram went. That's the first good thing that Abraham did is that he actually went. Now look at, look at what these promises were that God promised this guy. He promised him a place. You see that in verse 1? A place. Place matters. It's all throughout Scripture. Place, land, they represent something important. They represent in some ways God's blessing. So he promises Abram a place, that there will be a promised land. There's a place set out for you. There is a place that matters for you. There is a place that I have, that I have put you or that I am taking you. Place matters. You think place matters for you? It does. Place matters for you. Some of you are still thinking about like how to get more square footage in your house, thinking that that's the place that matters. But maybe... Maybe God has you in a place on purpose. Maybe it's more about the place that he's put you so that you can influence, so that you can multiply your influence in this particular place, so that he can give you a name in this place. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up about thinking about uh, houses and cars and, and places and possessions in that kind of a way. And maybe, just maybe, he's put you or is putting you in a specific place in this season, for a particular reason. And it's in this place that he intends to bless you. Because God is telling a bigger story. And do you think place matters for us as a church? This is really interesting because we are in, we are in this kind of city-rented space, right? With purple chairs and, and, and like fighting for stage space with a theater group when they come in and do their plays and things like that. We are in a temporary place. We are in a transitional place. But as I was reading and studying and preparing and listening, God made it very clear that he wanted me to say just something about this. That he does, in fact, have a place for you, for you, for your family, and place matters. And there's going to be a place where you have influence and a particular place for us collectively. That he has been about place, and that he is still about place, and he will be about place, because place matters. Place is one of the ways that he shows his blessing. Place is one of the ways where he allows us to have influence in that geographical area. And he has a place for this church. And we are in this transitionary period where we are waiting for him to make that work and show us what that is. And we don't, I don't even know where that is yet. I know a few things about it. I know that it's going to be accessible to this community, that people are going to feel like it's an accessible thing, that they can get here from different places, that people can come from different, different areas in the community and feel welcome. I know that it's going to be represented having big doors. It's going to be a welcoming place. I know that it's going to be a place where our influence is multiplied, where, where our people are multiplied as people understand who their creator is and they, they, they have a part in his story and they feel welcomed in that place. I know that that place is coming. And so don't give up for us collectively on that place. Trust that in this transitionary period, we keep getting here. You know those people get here at 6 in the morning? We keep getting here at 6 in the morning to set all this up. Because we know that there is a place, and we know that the place is coming, but in the meantime, we just keep following our God, and that's the main thing. And for you personally, 
Don't get caught up on the extremities and the bells and the whistles and the, and the, and, and the granite and the things like that. Think about the place where God has put you. Think about the place where he is blessing you. Think about the people that he is influencing through you. Now, maybe you haven't had kids yet, and you're thinking, well, part of this is that God promised Abraham that he would have a big nation, and he didn't have any kids. I don't have any kids. The promise is for fruitfulness. Think about the ways that your life is already fruitful. Think about the ways that God is multiplying you and your influence in the place where he puts you. And then men, and particularly for Father's Day, this is relevant to all of us, but I want to talk to the men. I know that there is something in each of you that wants to be great. And you want to pay attention to these next few minutes because this is the first time and one of the only times in all of Scripture where God says to a man, I will make you great. And I know that that is in you, that there is something in you that asks this question, do I matter? Am I good enough? Am I significant? Am I making it? Am I leaving an impact? Is my name great? And so if that is in you in any way, shape, or form, you might want to pay attention to a man who God says, I will make you great. I will make your name great. And let's see what that looks like. Let's see how that plays out. Let's see just how God does that and what's Abraham's part in that. It's interesting to me as I was looking because the, the story of Abraham starts in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 11 is the famous story of the Tower of Babel. The famous story of the Tower of Babel is these guys getting together and they're saying, let us, we're going to build this tower all the way into the sky as far as high as it can go. And then look at what it says in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 4. It says, then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. That didn't work out so well. God frustrated their plans, made them all talk in different languages, and that thing went nowhere. Because when we want to make a name for ourselves, God has no choice but to frustrate our plans. He is interested in making a great name for you. If Abram would have, would have just gone about his whole life making a great name for himself. He would have made a great name from Abram, but God had in mind to give him a different name, and he would have been on the wrong track the whole time. Some of you are working really hard to make a great name for yourself, and God's saying, you're kind of missing the point. I will make you great, but it's going to look a little bit different than this pursuit that you have been on. Abram to Abraham. Now, so pay attention to what God says in this story of how he will go about making Abraham great. Because even though, even though he struggles and Abraham is a mess, God still does what God promises. Look at this. It continues in Genesis chapter 4. God is silent for a little while. After all this, after all this blessing, and I will give you this, and I will give you this, and all the nations will be blessed through you. And then it's just like a little bit of time where God is silent, and there's a famine in the land, and Abraham already gets off track. He was going in this direction toward this land that God was telling him about, and then there's no food, and so he goes this direction into Egypt to find some food. And look how, look how silly this gets. 
as he was about to enter Egypt with his wife, Sarah, he, God changed her name too, I know, he says, I know what a beautiful woman you are. See, he's buttering her up for something, right? I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but let you live because you're hot. So say that you're my sister. Imagine a husband. Look, beautiful wife, do me a solid. Um, because you're so hot, I, this is going to go badly for me because he's really powerful. Yes, he wears eye makeup, but he's, he's got like a lot of stuff and chariots and things. And so I'm afraid for my life. And so I want you to just say that you're my sister because then he'll hook us both up. Yeah, he'll take you maybe, but I'll get to eat well at least, right? A, a guy's got to eat. And so he says, he you know, convinces her to go along with his plan. And sure enough, because she's really stinking pretty, the Pharaoh grabs her and says, you're going to be my wife. So now he's lost his wife, and she's with Pharaoh. Now God inflicts them, it says, with a serious disease. That's, I believe it. It's probably pretty serious. And so Pharaoh kind of puts two and two together, and he's like, I got like this crazy disease when this chick showed up. And so probably starts asking some questions, and she's like, well, I'm, I was actually married to him. What? You coward. And he goes, and he takes, and he gives her, gives her back to Abraham, and he says, if you just would have told me, like, just, why were you such a coward? If you just would have told me, it would have been fine. Now, get out of here. I got diseases, you know? And so he, and so he has this cowardly moment, and, it, and it, it almost costs him his wife. So he's on this track, and he believes God, and he says, yes, I believe all that stuff will happen. And then he's dumb, and he gets, he gets messed up, and he exposes his true colors, and he exposes that he's a coward, and he's interested in self-preservation preservation, and he almost loses his wife. And then other things happen too. You can read the story between Genesis 12 and 15. Other things go on with Lot, and, and there's fights, and there's death, and there's this weird stuff. And then look what happens in chapter 15 of Abraham's life. It says, after this, focus on those words, after this, after all these things, after he had been a just a ugly coward after all these things had gone wrong, after the ups and downs, after the promise and then his own frailty is exposed. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. It says, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? I, you said that you said I'll have this nation that'll influence the world, that every nation will come through me. What that I that's crazy that this great nation that everyone will be benefit through my heirs, through my, you know, descendants. I've got nobody. How can you give me anything since I don't even have a child? And the one who will inherit my estate is my, is my servant. He just works for me. But I guess since I don't have a kid, he's going to inherit everything. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so the servant will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up to the sky, count the stars, if you indeed can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, this is interesting, right? Because he is panicking again. And he's saying, but... But it's not gone, like, according to plan. I'm starting to get really stinking old here. And he was. He was really old. 
and you haven't done what you said you were going to do. You haven't, you haven't come, like, how can this all happen? Uh, let me problem solve for you. I got this servant, and, and maybe, maybe you can bless through him. And God says, no, 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 no. I am going to give you your own child, your own flesh and blood, and I will bless the world through him. And I love, look at these words. He says, he says, he took Abram outside. So Abraham, Abraham was in this tent. He was in this tent that he made. It had some little sticks or poles and maybe some cloth or leather or whatever it is. It was his covering, and he took it with him, and he traveled with that, and that's what he, that's what he slept under, stood under, you know. And he said, come out from this tent and let me show you the stars. Come out from your self-imposed restricted covering that's preventing you from seeing what I'm capable of. Come out from this layer between you and what I have in mind for you. Come out from this thing that is sheltering you from the potential that I have in store. And look what I can do. You can't count how many stars are in the sky. You can't count the influence that I will have through you on this earth. I think that God would say to some of you, come out from your self-imposed, limited perspective of what I want to do with your life. You don't understand it yet because it hasn't come to fruition yet. You might have heard a promise. You might have had a vision. You might have had these things in mind. And it doesn't seem to be going right. It doesn't seem to make sense. Two and two don't make four yet. But come out from this covering that you've placed yourself in, this limited perspective that you're allowing yourself to see, and look what I can do. Anything is possible for me. And then verse 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and that's what God credited to him as righteous. Was it perfect performance? Was it that he was a real brave, studly guy, took care of his wife real well? No. He believed the Lord despite what he could see, despite the circumstances, and that's what God said wins. That is what God credited as righteousness. So centuries later, Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing to a church like ours, and he says, remember that guy Abraham? Hundreds of years later. Remember that guy Abraham? This is a really important story, church, he's writing. You should pay attention to him. He says, remember this guy, Father Abraham. How many sons? You were one of them. I get it, I get it, I get it. Don't do the song. But remember them? In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted, to, counted him as righteous because of his faith. Because of his performance? No. Because of his faith, God credited him as righteous. Verse 7, the real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. The real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in in God. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. All peoples who put their faith in God will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. All people who put their faith in Christ share in this same blessing. This is not a story. This is not a story 
that happened thousands of years ago for us to just remember and think, oh, isn't that cute? God and Abraham and the cute songs. All people who put their faith in Christ have this same legacy, share in this same story, participate in this same plan, in this blessing of all people. Abraham came first, and you're coming now, and you have a part in this. And your faith has everything to do with it. Your perfect performance? No. Your faith. And the story continues to live on. So here's our Abraham, our guy, and he's, he's, he believes and has credited him as righteousness and, and things seem to be going okay again. You know, he's like, the deal's not off. Like, you, you got off track and there's, you, you doubt and you're a coward, but the deal's still on because I'm a God who keeps promises. And then Genesis 16 tells us that Abraham gets impatient again. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan, he'd been living in the land. Like, I'm in the land for 10 years Sarah, his wife, took the Egyptian slave Hagar, her slave Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. So she says, okay, we still don't have a kid, and you're really, really old. So um, I, I don't know, this, our window of opportunity has to be drastically coming to a close. Here, just take Hagar, my slave, you know, girl. She's not bad to look at. Just have a kid with her. And that's what happens here. And Abraham, because he too is impatient, he's thinking, okay, maybe that's not such a bad idea. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. She conceived. In his impatience now, again, he's making bad decisions. In his impatience now, he is sleeping with the slave girl. And this went, there was, there, this haunted them for years to come. Now Sarah is jealous of Hagar because she conceived, she has a kid, she names him Ishmael. And now she feels like, okay, so now Abraham obviously kind of cares about this kid Ishmael, and it's not my kid. Now I hate this woman because she can do something that I can't. And so it just made matters worse and complicated it further. And did you know that this was the birth of the Arab nation? Did you know that from, from Sarah, from Isaac, who would be the child that Sarah and Abraham conceived, comes the Jewish nation? Did you know that from Ishmael came the Arab nation? And God said that he will bless and multiply Ishmael's descendants also. And he also said of Ishmael that you will always be at war with your brothers. There will always be conflict like you were born in conflict. And so, thousands of years later, we still see that playing out today. Abraham, not waiting, impatient, sleeps with the slave, and this is the result. Then he finally gets his kid, right? He's a hundred years old when he <laughs> when they have Isaac, when he and Sarah have Isaac. She's like 90. That's old to have a kid, right? Imagine you, you're you know, chasing around a, a little toddler when you're like over 100 years old. It's, it's probably hard to fathom. Imagine shopping for diapers for the whole family. Uh, 
a little bit slow. But imagine, you know, you got, you got the pins under one arm and you got huggies under the other arm because everybody needs them. You're at dinner and no one has a tooth, you know, because we're, we're old people. You have, you, you, are, you are ancient and you just had this little kid. It's the kid that's been promised and you've been waiting for. And now you're really old, but God comes through. Why? Because God does what God does. He specializes in the impossible. He stretches our faith. He waits until the 11th hour sometimes just because what is he interested in? You to trust him. Belief, faith, that he will provide, that this will happen. So when he's 100 years old, Isaac is born to Sarah. And the, word, the name Isaac means he laughs. Because when God said, I'm going to have you get pregnant now and have this kid, they fell on their face laughing. And so, Fair enough. Let's call him Isaac, you know? That will be a good reminder to you that you laughed when I told you what I was about to do. So God tests Abraham. And he says, because God is interested in perfect performance? No. God is interested in faith and trust. So he tests Abraham, even after he gives him Isaac, this long-awaited kid. And he says, tell you what, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice this child that I gave you. I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son, who you've been waiting for, who I prophesied about, who's been coming for all this time, that, that you didn't think would happen, that he's happened, and now you love him so much and you're so excited. I want you to take him up on the hill and I want you to sacrifice him. So it's a three-day journey it's a three-day journey to this Mount Moriah where Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac. He has Isaac, ironically, carry the wood that he, would be, that he would be lying on. And they went with the donkey, and they went up, had some servants. They told the servants to stay behind. They went up this hill. Because Abraham says, you know what? I, I, God has done this crazy stuff so far. He'll come through. He knows what he's doing. I trust this God. And look at this question that he had to answer in verse 7 and 8. It says, The firewood are here, Isaac is talking to his dad. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Dang. Here we go. I got the firewood. I'm carrying it. You say that we're going to have a sacrifice. Where's the lamb? He's just asking innocently. Abraham's response, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, son. God himself will provide for the burnt offering. And so they get up there, and if you know the story, he takes Isaac, and he's waiting, and he's stalling. You know, he's kind of like, okay, any time now. And he takes his son, and he puts him on top of the wood on this physical altar. And he's like, okay, God, I, you know, this whole thing, I'm 100, kid, now I'm like 113 or something. And, and you know, any time now, like whenever you're ready, and it doesn't talk about, you know, it doesn't talk about the dynamic. It doesn't talk about the conversation. It doesn't talk about what it must have felt like to put your kid up on the thing and the kid to look at his dad like, what are you, crazy? And then I, Abraham's going to do it. He's going to go through with it because why? Because he trusts God. And the Bible says that right at the 11th hour, right at the last second, an angel of God stops him. And he looks over in the bushes right here is a ram, which is a male lamb. And the, and the lamb, the ram, has his horns stuck in the bushes, so he can't go anywhere. And so Abraham says, you know, just kidding, Isaac, you got you. And he, he pulls him off the thing, 
And he goes over and he gets this ram, this lamb, and he puts him up and they do the sacrifice thing right there. Right? And it all works out. Crazy though, right? That's ridiculous that any, that any father would ever sacrifice their son on an altar. Right? That doesn't happen. Except the people that I know who have sacrificed their families on the altar of success. Except the guys that I know who have sacrificed their marriages on the altar of pleasure. Except the guys that I know that have sacrificed their children, their wives, their marriages on the altar of making a great name for themselves. We do that. When we are not about being obedient and following faithfully, we make up our own things and we pursue our own greatness and we build our own towers and we do our own, and we end up sacrificing our loved ones on crazy, weird altars in weird ways. And we didn't see it coming, but that's what happens. I gave you in your outlines a little picture of an altar. That is just for you to take a second and to think through practically, just for, just for a moment here. What is it, where is it that you sacrifice things that you love, people that you love on altars of success, altars of whatever it is, altars of making a great name for yourself? Where is it that you tend to be drawn to? What is it that, that becomes most important to you and you put everything else on that altar? I want to invite you to just take a second before I finish and just write that down and say, God, actually instead, I want to be a person of faith and trust in you and I put this thing on your altar. I will put my own name on your altar. I will put my idea of success on your altar. I will put my idea of accomplishment on your altar. I invite you to just write that in. And just say, look, I, I have been trying to make my own name great. Maybe it's the wrong name. You, you do what you want to do with my life. Here's the thing, friends. When you get to that place like Abraham, where you can tell your son as you're walking him up this mountain, not knowing what's going to happen, that God will provide. And when you trust that, when that is the legacy that you leave for your family... You, you will be great. When, when, when that becomes greatness, when your legacy of greatness is about trust and faith, that your God, the God of the universe who has provided since the start and will provide to the finish, that will be your legacy of greatness. He will make your name great. He will give you place. He will give you influence. He will give you fruitfulness. He will multiply what he's given you. He will do all that. Your role is to trust him. Last thing, very interesting, very interesting fact. That when we talk about Abraham and Isaac and going up on this mountain, this, this Mount Moriah, centuries later, turns out, God sends his one and only son to the earth turns out that this one and only son 
carries a wooden cross on his back. It turns out that this one and only son wears a crown of thorns, maybe like the ram caught in bushes by his horns. It turns out that his one and only son who carries the wood up the mountain climbed the same mountain centuries later and was sacrificed the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Why? Because God is a God who provides. Practically, emotionally, spiritually, compensating for the weaknesses of fathers in our life and forgiving you of every wrong that you have ever done, compensating for my own cowardice, the fact that my performance is not perfect and his invitation is simply this. Will you trust me? Will you leave a legacy of trust and faith that I am the God that will provide, that you don't have to make a name for yourself. I will make one for you. I will make you great. I will give you land and influence and multiply. That is what I love to do. I am your God. Will you surrender these other things that you worry about to me and just trust? God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, that we would lay down those things that we take up and that we would be those who choose you, who choose to trust and follow you. Despite the circumstances, even though what we see doesn't make any sense, that we would have faith in spite trust you. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all. To Him I freely give. I will Jesus, I serve. 